see my Savior's hands. The title says it all. Pastor Will Whedon, author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. There's that famous phrase from Kierkegaard, faith sees best in the dark. I find the one thing it gives me, it gives me some reason to have hope. The ideology of intersectionality tries to bring together people not on the basis of a common value as children of God, but in terms of a hierarchy of grievances. Even the most liberal Supreme Court justices have been the vast majority of cases felt that obscenity is in a category with conspiracy, treason, false advertising, slander and libel, unprotected speech. Jesus sees the devil face to face and contradicts him with the word of God and overcomes by the word of God and shows us how absolutely vital the word of God is for us. Hi, this is James from Iowa. Future Lutheran pipe organist, love listening to Issues Etc. If you stop and think about it, it's one of those, well, what is it, a state of mind? Is it a psychological state? Is it an emotional state? The idea of peace appeals to us, whether it be peace on a global scale or peace of mind as we sit quietly in our home, maybe just peace and quiet. But what is peace when the Bible talks about peace, and it talks an awful lot about peace in almost every single book of the Bible. What is it promising us, and how does Christ make peace with God? How is he the Prince of Peace, the bringer of peace? Greetings and welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Will Whedon joins us in our series, The Words of Scripture. Today, the word is peace. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's host of the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever and author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Pastor Whedon, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Don. You wanted to begin with a collect for peace. Why is that? And then if you would, we will pray. Yeah, sure. I think it's just a prayer that we need more than ever in our day. People are very fearful of so many things that are going on around them. And the collect of peace is one of the church's greatest prayers to, I think, by the very praying of it, brings a bit of peace to each heart. It's traditionally prayed every evening at Vespers and also at the conclusion of the great litany. Can we pray it? Oh God, from whom come all holy desires, all good counsels, and all just works. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments, and also that we, being delivered from the fear of our enemies, may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Now, can we talk about that prayer a little bit? Let's talk, let's talk about it. I know there's at least one part that you want to focus in on. Well, yeah, you know, the, you know my enemies. favorite part there, but yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. You know, first of all, we don't know who wrote this thing. It shows up, I think, for the first time in the uh, Galatian Sacramentary, which tradition ascribes to the fifth century Pope St. Galatius. In any case, that means it's really old. It's been used in the church's prayers for like a thousand years. And it starts out by confessing that God is the source. He's the giver of all holy desires and all good counsels and all just works. It fesses up from the get-go that anything holy that you ache for is an ache God planted in you. And any good counsel that you're able to give or that anybody else is able to give you, that's planted by God either in you or in them. And any just, any righteous work you end up doing, the prayer makes it clear. It didn't come from you. It came from God. I think that's a great intro to start with because it gives us the theological climate around the Council of Orange in 529, roughly the time that this prayer makes its appearance. And that council really worked to deal with the semi-Pelagianism that had infected portions of the church. Go back to the prayer. Give to us, your servants, that peace which the world cannot give, that our hearts may be set to obey your commandments. Echoing the Lord's words from John, which we'll look at later, it recognizes that peace also must come from God if our hearts are to be set on obedience to his commandments. When Luther pictured to himself God as the angry judge who was always just waiting to pound him one, well, he was really brutally honest about himself and he thought, I did the commandments, but I didn't want to. I did them grudgingly and I did them out of fear. But when he experienced the peace that the gospel brings, the, the commandments came back as a gift. Dr. Nagel once wondered if instead of the third use of the law, we'd have done better to speak of the gospel's use of the law, the gospel making the law a gift back to you. The heart with the peace that passes understanding is the only heart, the center of desire, that is set, that's determined to keep God's commandment. I have set your law always before you that I might not sin against you. And yes, the most astounding bit of the prayer coming up, that we being defended from the fear of our enemies may live in peace and quietness through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, what astonishes us in that is that it does not ask that we be delivered from the enemies the outside stuff that attacks us, if you will, as though that were the big problem. No, 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 no. The big problem is on your inside. We need God to defend us from the fear of our enemies. Because the peace that Christ came to give us, indeed the peace promised throughout the Old Testament, is not a peace grounded in you and what's happening to you it's a peace grounded in God and what he imparts to you. And the fact that the colic positive peace against fear of the enemies gives a big hint about how that peace that comes from God can actually drive out fear. Make any sense? Hope so. The first place you wanted to take us is very early in the Holy Scripture where peace is kind of 
I'm not trying to trivialize it, but it is the punchline of this great blessing that Aaron was given by God to speak over the people. Yeah, it's an amazing passage. Numbers 6, verses 23 to 27. God tells Moses, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. So we've already noted in the collect here, we're going to see right from the very start here in the biblical texts, peace is not human achievement. You don't get peace by mastering mindfulness or doing yoga or whatever it is that the society currently is going to recommend will give you peace. At least you don't get the Bible kind of peace that way. The Bible's peace is always from God. So this beautiful benediction, which Jews and Christians have treasured for centuries, has as you called it the punchline. I just called it the last item. Punchline sounds better, I guess. Is that the Lord lift up his countenance on you, that is, regard you favorably, smile on you, and give you peace. Now, when you realize that peace is something you can't manufacture, I think you get relieved of a huge burden. It's like, oh, you mean I don't have to try to achieve that? Like, no, no, you don't. Peace, it's a gift, which the Lord gives, the Lord who favors you, and he simply waits to give you that peace. He wants to do it. Psalm 85, what is there to help us understand this word peace in Holy Scripture? Psalm 85, I'm looking especially at verses 8 and 9. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Now, as in Numbers here too, peace comes from God, and actually, just like in Numbers, it comes as something spoken. But that means God's peace is tied to words. No words of God filling your ear, your heart, your life. Don't expect any peace. At least God's peace, the peace that passes understanding, And notice how he shows the impossibility of trying to have that peace from the words while you ignore what the words direct you to do. Like, I want the information from the words, but I'm going to go my own way. He's like, don't turn back to folly. If you do that, that's not the path to peace at all. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He has hosted the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. We will continue near the beginning of Isaiah 26 after this.
Did you know that many LCMS military personnel and their families are unable to receive word and sacrament ministry due to the lack of LCMS chaplains? Ministry to the Armed Forces is looking for pastors who will answer the call to serve as a chaplain to provide word and sacrament ministry to the men and women who selflessly serve our nation. Find out more about this exciting ministry by contacting me, Chaplain Craig Mueller, at lcmschaps at lcms.org. That is lcmschaps at lcms.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we'll study an empty tomb, Jesus appears to Mary, sending the apostles, Thomas confesses Jesus, and Jesus and the 153 fish. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, as we continue our walk through St. John's Gospel on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand at thewordendures.org and on the Lutheran Public Radio app. Sanctifying your child-rearing with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Philip Hauser with Lamb of God Lutheran Church in Papillion, Nebraska. We're faithful to the Lutheran confessions as recorded in the Book of Concord, and our services are traditional Eucharistic liturgies in accordance with the ancient texts Saturday evening and Sunday morning. If you're ever in Omaha, come visit us. We're on Lincoln Street between 84th and 96th in Papillion. Our website is lambofgodlcms.org. The Simply Classical curriculum for special needs moves at my child's pace and gives her exactly what she needs. So writes Amber, a homeschooling mother who has joined thousands in homes and schools, teaching from this uniquely Christian classical approach to special education. Teach students with autism, learning disabilities, or Down syndrome based on ability level rather than chronological age. Use promo code LPR20 today at classicalspecialneeds.com. classicalspecialneeds.com. We're discussing the word peace in the Bible with Pastor Will Whedon. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Whedon is author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March. See my Savior's hands. As a grandfather, I read a lot of books to my young grandchildren. And one of the advantages this book has is the illustrations are enormous. No one will have any trouble seeing Jesus in this children's book, literally and figuratively. See my Savior's hands is the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March. You can ask for it that way when you call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at issuesetc.org. Pastor Whedon, we continue now near the beginning of Isaiah chapter 26. Three and four. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. God keeps in perfect peace. Not man. But here, the one he keeps in peace is the one whose mind is stayed, which I think you'd have to say what? Fixated on the Lord because he trusts in him. And if you have to ask, oh, where does such trust come from? Well, yeah, that trust comes from the word of God. No word, no trust, no peace. 
word. God speaks his word. This engenders trust in us. And trust in God is the very essence of the peace that he gives, his perfect peace. And then he says a little later in that 12th verse, O Lord, you will ordain peace for us. You have done for us all of our works. One of the most stunning passages in the entirety of the scripture on divine monergism that you're going to ever find, right? Yahweh will ordain peace for his people because he does, he, Yahweh, does all their works for them. And if you sit there and go, what on earth can that even mean? You just need to think about your Lord Jesus's active obedience, which is imputed to you as your very own. And by active obedience, we mean his perfect keeping of the law on behalf of all humanity and how this perfect keeping of the law of Christ covers all of the inadequacies and all of the failures which can be found in all of our own good works. And because of this, there can really be peace. Your conscience can be at peace, at rest, because it knows I have a perfect righteousness. I can, I can stand before the throne of God on the last day because I am clothed in a righteousness, the righteousness of one who had an unbroken yes all the way to the Father. You want peace? You need an unbroken righteousness. You need Christ. And this is delivered to you through the word which you trust. Before we go on to this next one, he ordains peace for us. What do you make of that picture there? It has the picture of something that he establishes and creates and then calls us into, if you will. Like, you know, it's like he establishes the peace. He sets it in place. He sets it in place and Mm -hmm. says, you know, come live here. And and that's what he he indeed does. How he sets it in place, of course, by doing all of our works for us. That that has a, at least a mild implication that there's a place where peace can be found. That for the people in Isaiah's day, it would have been in the temple to find peace. They had to go where God promised, where his word was where his word attached to the, the actions he prescribed in the word conveyed the gifts of forgiveness of sin and new life. That doesn't change in the New Testament, right? Same thing happens. He just takes the location instead of being the holy city of Jerusalem, the place, the peace place spreads out all over the entire world. Every place in the world can become a place where the people of God gather in the word of God, hearing it, trusting it, and so having in their hearts peace. That's picked up exactly in the next little section in Isaiah. Yep. In uh, 32 verses 17 and 18. Yeah, it's almost the second verse, same as the first, isn't it? This is the second part of it. The effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. And then my people will abide in peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, in a quiet resting place. Yeah, same story as last time. The effect of righteousness, that is of Christ's righteousness, perfect, being imputed to you as your own, that's going to be peace. And you'll know the peace that passes understanding when you know in whose righteousness you stand before God. And the result is going to be this quietness inside of you, this trust forevermore. And Jesus then speaks of, you know, in John 14, he speaks of preparing for us a home, a dwelling, and 
he also says in Matthew, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus becomes the place where you actually rest in God. That brings us to, we really can't talk about the whole chapter, but the whole chapter has to be put in mind. The suffering servant, the one who ultimately, whose punishment brings us peace, Isaiah 53. Yeah, Isaiah 53. And we're going to look at verses four to six. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement or punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So this is the, the converse. It, it, it's not only the failures in your good works that you do that need to be covered by the imputation of Christ's perfect righteousness, but you also need the peace that comes from knowing that your sins, all of them with the sins of the whole world, have been imputed to Christ and that he bore their punishment 100% fully. This passage really is the very heart of peace. If you put this together with those earlier passages from Isaiah, you have a peace that that is indeed full and joyous and overflowing. Now, let's stay with Isaiah 53 for a little bit because... Because uh, it's Lent. And why can we ever leave it? <laughs> Absolutely. And it has this, what I think so many people find so comforting about knowing that our peace with God rests upon Christ's being our substitute yeah. at the cross. And that is that is found in that verse. The punishment, his punishment, has brought us this peace, that he took the punishment that we deserved. Yeah, I think people have treasured that ever since it became clear from the crucifixion of Jesus that Isaiah was coming to life before their eyes, and they began to, and the apostles began to preach. Hey, when Paul goes around saying, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, you're thinking of, where did he get that from? Well, isn't that exactly what Isaiah said happened right there? He's the one who has all the sins of the world imputed to him. Or as Paul would say later in Galatians, he becomes a curse for us on the tree. It's just an amazing statement. He takes the curse in our place. He's our substitute. And we love him forever for that. I mean, there's the one and there is the whole race of men. And he says, let me offer myself in place of them. And there's not a single one for whom he did not offer himself in that moment. I think that's the great comfort that sometimes bad theology just robs us of. And that is because we can say he bore all iniquity, he bore all sin, the sins of every sinner, we can then therefore say he bore my sin too, with absolute certainty. Yeah, I mean, you see Paul make that move, right? In Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
See, I mean, it, it becomes personal. And that's when we talk about a personal faith, that's really what we're, we're referring to, where, where you know that you are included in this. When he does this for the sins of the world, you are in that. And it's so much better than the other kind of personal relationship oh my goodness, that, that yes. we often hear about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that that has all the, uh, the idea of, of looking at yourself to get it. Whereas this is like, no, I, I, you're looking at, at the entire sense of the world on him and you're going, I'm in there. <laughs> I'm in there. That's for me. It's beautiful. With that other kind of way of talking about a personal relationship with Jesus or something like that, there's always a completely subjective element that, as you said, turns you in on yourself rather than looking outside yourself for certainty. That is counterintuitive to us, especially today where everyone thinks that things are really certain if we actually if I feel it, feel right, them inside, inside yeah. follow your heart, all those kinds of things. Yeah. When that's the thing that God's word does with us. It inverts it, you, yes. It, it turns us outside ourselves where we would never have looked for peace and certainty. And, and it teaches us that this is actually the path to peace as it is the path to joy and the path to love. It's always on this outside it, it, it comes to you from the outside in, and it always stays that way. And so he wants to focus on I mean, so like think about how we didn't really deal when we dealt with love with its relationship so much among ourselves. But if we think about the nature of God's love among ourselves, it becomes really clear that the focus isn't on how you feel inside. It's, again, bending you away from yourself to actually start noticing and rejoicing in and celebrating the people around you. In Isaiah 57, there's this great hymn. Mm-hmm. of God rebuking his people for their idolatry and then calling them to repent. And then this, it's a procession yeah. where God comes to them. It's very much John the Baptist, build up, get ready, here he comes. Then in verse 18, he has some remarkable words. What do we find there, Will? I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We'll get a little deeper into that very passage in Isaiah 57, the difference between those who have peace and not, next. I am really humbled to be invited to talk about the greatest mystery of the Christian faith, the mystery of the, of the Holy Trinity. Pastor Brian Wolfmiller talking about his presentation at the 2020 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. This doctrine is not an abstraction, but an incredibly practical, comforting, and wonderful mystery. In fact, the contemplation of the Trinity, reflecting on it, shouldn't end in speculation, but rather in the joy of worshiping God. And that's what we'll get after when we talk about this uh, making the case for the Trinity. 
You can meet and hear Pastor Brian Wolfmiller at the annual Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 12th and Saturday, June 13th in Chicago. Pastor Wolf Miller will be joined by Dr. Robert George, Mark and Molly Hemingway, Pastor Hans Feeney, Dr. Albert Moeller, and Pastor Will Whedon. Find out more and register at issuesetc.org or call 618-223-8385. After Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he fasted for 40 days, and Satan came and tempted him. And whereas we have fallen to temptation time and again, Jesus did not. Read the March issue of the Lutheran Witness to learn all about fasting and temptation. Read about how God called his people to return to him with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And learn about how Jesus gives us his perfect obedience in place of our sin. Visit cph.org slash witness to subscribe today. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash witness. Many Lutheran pastors outside of the U.S. receive little or no seminary education. Luther Academy provides theological triage through conferences, books, and journals. Help support Luther Academy by making a tax-deductible donation at lutheracademy.com or call 260-452-2211. Serving Lutheran pastors to the ends of the earth. Luther Academy, 260-452-2211 or lutheracademy.com. Christological. Creedal. Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Ascension Lutheran, Niles, Illinois. Christ Our Savior Lutheran, Freeburg, Illinois. Good Shepherd Lutheran, Marshall, Minnesota. Hope Lutheran, Spokane Valley, Washington. Messiah Lutheran, Keller, Texas. Our Savior Lutheran, Louisville, Kentucky. Redeemer Lutheran, Lincoln, Nebraska. St. John Lutheran, New Berlin, Illinois, St. Paul Lutheran, International Falls, Minnesota, and Trinity Lutheran, Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print the one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the radio, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin on this Wednesday, March the 4th. It's our series, The Words of Scripture, The Word Today is Peace. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Pastor Whedon, you started us off in Isaiah 57 before the break, and it kind of has those two parts, those who receive peace from God and those who can expect no peace. What's the difference between the two? Again, if you remember earlier when we were looking at how you warned off in Psalm 85 about he, he will speak peace, but let him not turn back to his folly, right? You can't grab hold of the peace that is in Jesus Christ and try to hold it together with an intention to sin. God simply says, what I mean by intention to sin is saying, I know that God says this is wrong. I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. He's just going to have to forgive me. God says, there is no peace that way. There is no peace. That there is this fearful waiting for judgment because you know you're wrong. You know that's not the way God set it up. He gives you the gift of peace in Jesus Christ as he gives you forgiveness for all your sins, not that you can serve sin, but to set you free from the service of sin. 
but I think the the far and the near is is important to underline here. It's going to show up a little later in the New Testament, and here he, and he's going to have an application of it. Uh, Paul's going to have an application of it that's a little different. I think that the application here in Isaiah is to the exiles, the far, and to the people who had remained in the land, the near. And it's like, I got peace for my people. I know they're scattered in a mess, but don't worry. I'm going to lead you and restore you and comfort you. And I'm going to create the fruit of the lips, which by the way, echoes all the way down to Hebrews 13, right? The fruit of the lips, the praise that acknowledges his name. He says, I'm going to heal him. And the healing itself is the peace that God speaks. We look at Isaiah 66. I think this is our last stop in the book of Isaiah. It's hard to leave Isaiah. <laughs> and I, again, I, I'm kind of surprised that it has this much peace in it. I wouldn't have thought peace was a major theme. Well, you know what? Before you read it, I should add this. There was a whole other complex of peace that I just left off. And that is the peace offering in the in the Old Testament. So, I mean, there's a lot. If you start looking for the word peace, there's a lot of times in the Old Testament where the word is just used for things like make peace with. And it's also used for like, you know, man to man. And it's also used for this peace offering thing. And there's just tons and tons and tons of those references. But I really wanted to focus on what I think are the more theological meanings of the word peace. And that's really what I think the Psalter and Isaiah deliver to you. So Isaiah 66 is peace like a river. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Verse 12. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord will be shown to his servants and he will show his indignation against his enemies. Yeah, the, the picture here, just overflowing abundance. It's like there's so much peace that's running your way. And so here the, you know, the Hebrew picture of peace says all things working out well, all things being restored the way they were intended to be, everything in its ordered place where God is being glorified and providing lovingly and caringly for his creation and his creation acknowledges and praises him and gives thanks as she basks in his comfort and love. And it's that comfort like a mother comforting her mm-hmm. child. That's such an intimate picture of God's calming us with mm-hmm. his peace. Yeah. And the visual of that, I think, is is vital that he swaddles us as he speaks these words to us. He's holding you and, and, and saying, you know, hush, hush now. I've got it. I've got you. I'm taking care of everything. You have nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. Moving to Jeremiah chapter 6, what did you find there that is peaceful? Well, this is sort of false peace. We've talked about this a little bit when people try to lie to themselves about impenitence. But in Jeremiah 6, verses 14 and 15, he says, They, meaning the prophets and the priests, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. 
Therefore, they will fall among those who fall at the time that I punish them. They shall be overthrown, says the Lord. This warns us off against God loves you. It's all going to be okay. You can do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about it. We're all sinners. You don't need to think about his commandments and try to obey them. You just go, you know, be at peace because God's taken care of everything for you. He's done all your work, so you don't need to worry. You, you can just go live however you want. Jeremiah's like, that doesn't heal anybody. That may be a word that sounds like peace, but that is not peace. That is not peace at all. That picture of they have healed the wound lightly. They haven't done the whole job. Mm -mm. It's malpractice. Yeah, it's malpractice. That's right. And the wound is still festering. And the wound there is rebellion. In other words, you've told people who are in rebellion, active rebellion against King Yahweh, you've told them, Yahweh is at peace with you. It's like, no, he is not. He is not at peace until you lay down your arms. I love, Nicias Lewis a great quote. I can't remember exactly where it was from. But he says that man is not so much a wounded critter who needs to be healed as he is a rebel who needs to lay down his arms. And that's what they were refusing, the, the, the prophets were refusing to tell the people, lay down your arms and do what Yahweh says. They weren't willing. What is the danger, the greatest danger of living in that false peace? The greatest danger is that you die in it. And then you find out that you were lied to. And the wound that was in your flesh, that was destroying you, will take you to hell. It's, it, it's a terrifying thing to embrace impenitence and to think it's going to be okay because somebody told me that God loves me. I, I don't need to worry about the fact that I was a rebel against him my entire life. You also wanted to look at uh, Zechariah 9.10, but reflect back on some more of Isaiah. Yeah. So in Zechariah 9, 10, this is the tail end of Jesus writing into Jerusalem, that passage, you know, uh, the rejoice daughter of Jerusalem and all that. And then he says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So he's going to speak peace. And notice again, the connect, how many times have we heard that peace is connected to a spoken word? So he speaks peace to the nations and his dominion, his rule is going to literally be all over the place. There won't be anywhere where he will not be the king who reigns by speaking peace and ending the sort of hostilities that exist between his people. And then, it calls to mind the picture from Isaiah 9, which we just didn't have time to go into. We won't add too much there. But remember, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end, right? He's going to establish his reign on the earth, and that peace will just continually grow as his reign grows. So you talked in a previous conversation about how joy grows yeah. in eternal life, in the resurrection. And it sounds here from at least that brief glance back at Isaiah chapter 9 that peace also grows. Yeah. That's, that's something we find inconceivable. I think we could kind of imagine a growth in joy, but peace we view as that static state. 
often like we do joy. Yeah. And that all these things are talked about in scripture, peace, love, joy, as increasing in Christ's resurrected presence. Yeah, I mean, you you stop and, and really ponder that and you realize that as in this life, you have you have moments where you've tasted the peace that, yes, my sins are gone and my goodness, I have been, I have been loved in Christ and given a righteousness that is perfect. And I love him so much for what he's done for me. And you think, could, 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 could life be better than this? And, and then, you know, you have another moment later on and you're like, it's even more profound. And then there are plenty of dry spells you go through in life too. But imagine an eternal life where you see this and you're resting in him. You're finding in him everything that you will ever need. His every provision for you, your awe at that is simply going to continue to deepen. And with the deepening of the awe, the deepening of the quiet at the very heart of your being, where you share with him, resting in him, the peace that is at the heart of God himself. I mean, it's an eternal peace, so you cannot ever come to the end of it. That's what, I mean, that's the truth. You're going to grow into it forever. There's a hymn that I believe it's the tree of life. I might be wrong. But it talks about paradise before the fall very briefly. If I'm not mistaken, it describes how the calm of Eden, of paradise, is broken by the entrance of sin and death. They were at perfect peace with one another, with God, with all of creation. And they could have grown in that there. Yeah. And then what enters, actually what God imposes there as kind of a merciful act of judgment, that sounds ironic, is that enmity that he places between where it belongs now, Mm -hmm. between the woman and the serpent, between her seed and the serpent's seed. Yeah, and all of a sudden there is really rupture of peace upon the earth. And you look at the shape of the earth and you go, oh, I guess I kind of get what happens on Facebook and Twitter and what I read in the headlines. Do people read headlines anymore? I don't know. And, and, and what you see on TV or whatever. I mean, it's, it's all, all, all the mess around you, man against man, all uh, blue against red. And, you know, all the identity politics that, that just fractures and sets the human race full of hate against one another. You look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's what we brought into the world that day in paradise. And, you know, just like peace can grow, so can the rejection of peace, the discord. It can grow, too. And we're seeing it grow in our own day. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking to Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever about peace in the Scriptures. Related birthday greetings to the U.S. Navy Reserve, established on March 3rd, 1915. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces supports almost 200 chaplains who serve the Reserves, Active Duty, the National Guard, and Civil Air Patrol. Find out more about their work at lcms.org slash armed forces, serving those who serve. LCMS Ministry to the Armed Forces, lcms.org slash armed forces. We'll get into the New Testament and the word peace with Pastor Will Whedon after the break. See my Savior's hands. The title says it all. 
Pastor Will Whedon, author of The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for March, See My Savior's Hands. In pictures and words, we follow Jesus' story by watching his hands, from childhood to his baptism, from his healings and miracles all the way to the cross, from his resurrection to his ascension. We'll see that his hands are always active at work to bring us blessing. Learn more and purchase See My Savior's Hands, a book for children ages 4 through 7 at issuesetc.org. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more. This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Education and edification. You're listening to Issues Etc. LCMS Disaster Response provides guidance and assistance to congregations who seek to proclaim the gospel and show mercy in the wake of disasters. We can bring capacity to your congregation through on-site assessment, volunteer training and congregation preparedness, and through grants direct to your congregation. For more information, follow us on Facebook, keyword LCMS Disaster Response, or visit our website at lcms.org slash disaster. That's lcms.org slash disaster. Lutheran Federal Credit Union serves the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod community with car and personal loans, mortgages, credit cards, checking and savings accounts. Lutheran FCU supports LCMS organizations with its Spotlight Ministry program, and Lutheran Federal Credit Union allows you to make purchases with Apple Pay, Google Pay, and Samsung Pay using your digital wallet. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Good for you. Good for the church. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. LutheranFCU.org. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Talking about the word peace in our series, The Words of Scripture. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest host of the daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. So turning now to the New Testament, Will, at the very beginning of the narrative there in Luke's gospel, we have an explosion of peace on earth. Yeah, it, it is at the moment that the Lord Jesus is born in Bethlehem that God sends the holy angels and they sing. They sing over the fields of Bethlehem. So Luke 2, verses 13 and 14, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to men. Boot to those who translated it the other way. And so glory to God, that is glory in the highest, but here on earth now, there is peace among men and people have for years. I mean, do you remember even in the Christmas hymn, I heard the bells on Christmas day, you know, it sure doesn't look like there's peace on earth. You're missing the point. Peace is now on earth because peace, all the peace that we've been hearing about and thinking about throughout the old Testament, this peace is a person. His name is Jesus. As we heard in the earlier verses that he is the great joy So he is also the peace. He will be our peace. Next we go to, if I'm not mistaken, Matthew 
10, that is words or an idea that is spoken a little bit later in Jesus' ministry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I really put it in here just because it's a very famous passage that sounds contrary to what you just heard. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. I always wished that focus on the family would really have dealt with (laughs) what Jesus teaches about the family here. His, His point, though, is at its heart is the peace that I bring to earth is not an earthly peace. It's not going to be peace among the nations in our time. And it's not even going to be peace inside of of a family if you think that that means me blessing the rebellious of this world. That's not what I came to do. I did not come to bestow outwardly good stuff on a rebellious world. What I came to do was to provide salvation, salvation in a rebellious world so that it could be saved from its rebellion through me, through my blood, and by being joined to me, have a peace that passes understanding. In other words, he's saying, if you reject me as peace, there is no peace for you. But if someone accepts me as peace, then they're going to be at enmity with much of the world. The world's going to recognize there's something wrong with you. As I always like to say, it smells the resurrection on them, and it hates them. You wanted to tie it into Jesus' words, my kingdom's not of this world, which we usually take to mean my kingdom's not here, it's someplace else. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying at all. I think he's saying my kingdom is most definitely here, but it is not like. It's not right. It, it, is, it is not only not like, different from, but it is antithetical in many ways to mm-hmm. the kingdoms of this world. Yeah, my kingdom is in submission to my father perfectly as I am, and those who are in me are those who have laid down their arms, and this is what makes this kingdom of Christ be very different. And he gives a life that's not of this world, a life that goes on forever. In Luke chapter 10, what did you find there in a few verses? Okay, I threw this one in for a really weird reason, okay? A couple years ago, my wife and I uh, were caught up in the KonMari craze, and we absolutely had a great time going through our stuff and really uh, evaluating what sparked joy and what didn't. But when you read that stuff, the, the, the sort of uh, Taoist kind of, or I assume that's where it comes from, approach that uh, Marie Kondo sometimes shows, and, and you think, this is just a little too woo-woo heathen stuff for me to buy, so I just discard that, right? So, But one of the things she says to do is to talk to to objects and thank them. So like you thank your house, um, you thank something, if you had a sweater that you wore for a long time but you don't want it anymore, you thank it for its service to you and then you give it away. I think it's trying to inculcate in you the idea of being grateful for the many things around you. But what hit me was talking to inanimate objects is a very Asian thing. And on the other side of Asia from where Marie Kondo is from, you have Jesus. And he says, Luke 10 verse 5, Whatever house you enter, say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, 
it will return to you. Is this weird or not? You have to stop and think about it. We know the stories and we don't think it's so weird. But I mean, Jesus says, speak peace to a house when you enter in. And, and, and to this day, I'm sure you've done it many times when you enter into a hospital room where there's a sick patient, usually our, our liturgy calls for you to say peace to this place and to those who are here. We have to add and to those who are here because we're just not quite comfortable enough the way Jesus laid it out there, speaking it to the place, peace to this place, peace to this house. But again, I just want to say peace is something that he speaks. He speaks and he speaks it to an inanimate object, to a house filled with people. The next stopping point is Jesus' long monologue from Monday, Thursday. And he speaks just very briefly, powerful, powerful words about his peace. Probably the most famous words about peace in the entirety of the New Testament. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Peace, I leave you. That immediately sounds like what happens at a, at a reading of a will, right? It's a testamental gift. I'm leaving this to you. My peace, his peace, his total trust in the promises of the Father, that's what he is bequeathing to you and to me so that we can have this. And he's not giving it the way the world gives. How does the world give? The world says, I'll give you this. And if it says, it's free, you immediately want to know, "Uh uh-huh. And how much is that free gift going to cost me, right? (laughs) But when Jesus gives, it really is free. It's free in him. And he's the very gift that he's giving. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let all the fears and angers and thoughts of the world possess you. And don't let them be afraid. Speak to that Christian who's listening to us now who says, Pastor Whedon, I've heard you talk about this peace and what scripture says about this word, but I don't feel the peace of God. Yeah, I want to say, you know, so many times I don't either. And that's perfectly okay because this peace that we're talking about is not primarily a feeling. There are times you sense it and are aware of it and feel it, but there are many, many times where you do not. You have a peace that simply rests on something outside of you. We've seen what's outside of you here in this sense is Jesus. Jesus in his perfect obedience to the Father. Jesus in his perfect suffering on the cross for the forgiveness of all of your sins. Jesus in his his own inner peace that he has in his trusting in the Father. All of this he is giving you. He reaches it to you. And when our peace seems to be, I'm not even sure that we want to say this as uh, you don't feel it, you don't sense it. Sometimes even when you do feel it and sense it, but you still feel pretty shaken. This peace is something that he strengthens inside of you by you continuing to listen to his word. Listen to his word, receive his sacrament, trust his promises and peace comes. One of the weird things that the uh, Israelites experienced, right, was that you couldn't store up the manna. You had to, you know, he, he gave it to you on the day, what you needed for the day. 
And that's kind of what he does when it comes to the strength that we need to get through, including the peace we need to make it through. He'll give you what you need. It's it's an eternal peace. It's in him. And he absolutely will give you what you need each day. Pray to him and say, Lord Jesus, you are my peace. Pastor Whedon hosts a daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, you're going to start studying a new book of the Bible next week. Tell us about that. We're going to look at Hebrews, and I'm so excited about it. Hebrews is, next to Revelation probably, the premier worship book of, of the early church. And the wonderful thing about Hebrews is if Dr. Kleinick is, is correct about this, and he's not the only scholar who thinks it, it's, it's probably the only full-length sermon that we really have. Well, I, I would argue that maybe First Peter is also a full-length sermon with epistle stuff pasted on front and back. But Hebrews is an entire message that's delivered to a congregation listening to the Word of God. So we're going to be taking our place beside Christians that have been listening to this in the context of the divine service for a very long time. It's going to be wonderful. I hope you all join us. Listen and subscribe to The Word of the Lord Endures Forever at thewordendures.org. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He hosts a daily short-form Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. He's author of the books Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. Will, thanks. Thanks so much, Todd. Tomorrow on Issues Etc., we'll get an introduction to the solid declaration of the formula of Concord from Pastor Paul McCain of Concordia Publishing House. And we'll discuss the effects of identity politics on Hollywood with Pastor Ted Geese. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org. Hey, Todd. What have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com.